0: So this, this Sunday is Trinity Sunday, and it's such a, a big topic. You can go in a lot of different directions that even if you didn't have all of Genesis 1 uh, to help feed that. And, of course, you can go in, in any number uh, of directions with uh, the wealth uh, in that reading and the, the fundamental importance of it. But today we're actually going to focus uh, on the, the gospel lesson. You know, maybe you think it's uh, the, the the longer readings are hard to sit through, but they're even harder to preach from because you gotta if you gotta try and condense that down into a short sermon. Uh, boy, it's hard to leave stuff out. So we're gonna take the short reading uh, to turn that into a sermon. And uh, as Steve said, the uh, gospel lesson today has uh, uh, a lot of fame and familiarity uh, for what's known as the Great Commission. I need the commissioning of Christ's disciples to go and make more, uh, to make disciples of all nations. Uh, that uh, Jesus gave his disciples uh, the role as his apostles, uh, a technical term for kind of his ambassadors of his kingdom. Uh, to act on his behalf, to administrate the rule and reign of his kingdom, uh, the foremost mission of which was to grow and spread. And t- he gave them the means to do that through uh, baptism and the teaching of his word. I'll go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to keep I have, everything I have commanded you. And this passage is often used as a uh, uh, source uh, for a command to be baptized, suggesting to assert that uh, God commanded us or Christ commanded us to be baptized. But if you look at it carefully, there's a subtle but important distinction that Jesus didn't command anyone to be baptized here. He gave the command to his church to go baptize, uh, which as we'll go go into in the rest of the sermon is uh, a directional directional shift uh, that has a great deal of importance to it. And he follows it up uh, with an equally and even more important statement as he he seals this commission uh, with an oath. And that's something that people who are familiar with commissions in the world at large today are are probably familiar with as well. If you've ever served in the military or received a commission as an officer in the military, you know that you're sworn in to that office with an oath of office when you receive that commission. Uh, The same is true of, of law enforcement as well. Uh, You take that oath of office to uh, support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Uh, Steve helped us out again by calling it the Great Directive to tie that military angle into it. Uh, But it's not just military. Uh, Even in elected office, we're very familiar with the same thing. When a new, new president is sworn in, if you... Don't, even if you don't follow politics that closely, you've probably seen a picture of a president being sworn in with his hand on the Bible and his other hand raised. Uh, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the uh, office of the President of the United States. Uh, positions of uh, authority, high positions, uh, are often defined by this oath of office, but also more familiar ones. And uh, doctors commonly take the Hippocratic Oath uh, that uh, governs medical ethics and their intent to hold themselves to a standard as doctors, to first do no harm, which actually isn't part of the original Hippocratic Oath. It was something else that, uh, that Hippocrates said that gets lumped in with the oath. Uh, but means, is part of basically the same attitude. Actually, anyone who's been married. Uh, When you take your marriage vows, it's essentially an oath of office that you're being sworn in uh, to your office as a husband or wife uh, to fulfill the duties of that office, to love, honor, and cherish in sickness and in health till death do us part. We take oaths of office, Uh, for important positions of great responsibility like this, uh, in part because to highlight that it's more than just a job description, uh, that uh, these are positions that aren't defined by the character or preferences of the individual who fills that office, but by the office itself. Uh, The office defines the responsibility, and it doesn't change every time a new person fills it. It doesn't change based on individual characteristics or even uh, of the uh, individual uh, perceived needs of those who are served. Uh, the office is defined by the oath. We see oaths of office also in the church. Uh, that The church has a, a mission as we've uh, scene to which its members are commissioned. And uh, we can see that very clearly in the uh, 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 ordination vows uh, taken by pastors. Uh, both Pastor and I, before we became pastors, uh, were ordained with uh, the uh, requisite swearing in, if you will, uh, to uh, stay faithful to God's word. Uh, to serve our congregation in love, to pray for them, and so on. Uh, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a kind of highlight it as a son of the congregation, Tim Evans, who's going into military chaplaincy, uh, was sworn in as an officer of the United States Army, and then subsequently ordained as a pastor in the church, and a similar kind of swearing in. Uh, so we have the, the same, really, I, that same identity and uh, role in, in the church, and it's not just pastors either. All members of the church, uh, according to the Apostle Peter in 1 in Peter, are part of the royal priesthood of all believers, uh, that you are all uh, members of God's chosen people, a royal priesthood uh, who Uh, he has called out of darkness into his marvelous light and who are to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's part of our baptismal liturgy uh, and it highlights uh, how baptism is really our commissioning into uh, Christ's church. Uh, This morning in the first service we had Uh, The uh, Rite of Confirmation, Uh, a couple of students who stood up here and made their confirmation promises, and we all can clearly see that as a kind of swearing in. Uh, Really, anytime they uh, join another church when they grow up and are transferred to a uh, first Lutheran church in Gainesville, uh, they're going to make those very similar promises again but their membership in the body of Christ was sealed in their baptism, as was ours. It's in baptism that we become a part of the church and its mission, which Christ defines as triune, uh, as we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our commissioning uh, as members of the church who are about its mission to uh, go and, and uh, baptize and instruct, teach in God's Word, uh, it all uh, comes out in, in the form of triune doctrine. Uh, I know the, the doctrine of the Trinity, especially when you get uh, really immersed in it in the Athanasian Creed, it can seem like just a, a brain teaser, you know, some sort of riddle or, or mental puzzle Uh, that's uh, impossible to figure out. But the point of it isn't to confuse or perplex us or even to try and define complicated things as precisely as possible, like to unravel how uh, the physics of atoms and molecules work or something like that. Uh, It's not to overthink something or uh, or to uh, just confuse you. It's just to say what God has done. There's a reason we celebrate Trinity Sunday, the Sunday immediately after Pentecost. Uh, Because it's to sum up everything that God has done through Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. To proclaim the Trinity is just to proclaim what God has done in His plan of salvation. Uh, That's what Peter is doing in our uh, lesson from Acts. Uh, In the midst of his sermon, he says uh, that God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. He's confessing the Trinity just because there's no other way to talk about what God has done. Uh, The Father gave the Son Raised him from the dead, and uh, from the Father, the Son pours out the Holy Spirit. It's just a triune doctrine. That's uh, the the gospel. That's uh, the uh, it's ultimately a narrative, not a, a brain teaser. That narrative of who God is and what God has done as uh, he gives us himself over and over again is, uh, is a necessary feature of the gospel. You can't tell the gospel of what God has done and leave out Jesus. You can't tell the gospel of what God has done and leave out the Father. You can't tell the gospel of what God has done and leave out the Holy Spirit uh, that it it's the story of God's saving work that uh, fuels a necessary expression of triune goodness and graciousness. Uh, that begins all the way back at the beginning, uh, when uh, the spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God spoke on uh, that word. Uh, as John chapter 1 says, is Christ. As God says, let us make man in our image. Uh, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created him. And not to get too far off track but again how you can get so many sermons out of this text. Uh, when you, you see uh, God's word uh, telling us that uh, uh, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's impossible to say that the male and female distinction isn't an important one. It's right there in the image of God and his creation. And that's another sermon. What this highlights is that from the very beginning, God's story has been triune. And it's continued uh, as we uh, get into the, like I said, the, the story of his salvation that Peter is proclaiming in Acts. It's the essence of our identity in him in baptism that we hear in our gospel lesson, baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's what defines us because the oath of our office is not actually our commitment It's not what we vow to God, but what God has vowed to us. Jesus' own office, uh, as we read in in Hebrews, was not taken on without an oath. As uh, Hebrews uh, dwells on the theme of Christ as our great and eternal high priest, it's emphasized that uh, this office uh, was not without an oath but quoting Psalm 110 it says the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek uh, that it's God's oath as uh, the foundation of Jesus' office and our, his relationship to us and our relationship to him uh, usually when you, you take any uh, oath or vow or if you're giving witness at a, a a court trial or something, they'll, they'll tell you what to say. Or when you were married the pastor stood up there, I so I uh, so and uh, so uh, you know that but those promptings in the uh the in our relationship with God are more than just uh here's what you say next. Uh When God says, repeat after me, He's not just feeding us the lines, He's making us a promise Himself to give us the foundation to share that and speak that to others. Uh, That God's promise to us, when He says, repeat after me, I am the Lord your God and you will be my people, is Him making a promise to us. For us, to proclaim to everyone else based on the authority of his office. The real oath of office in the church is God's pledge to us. Behold, I am with you always in the Great Commission is Jesus' pledge and promise uh, to his church uh, to be their God and to be their people. Uh, just as it has been the the uh, backbone of, of every covenant and every promise uh, he made, that he would be with them, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And he fulfills that in the gift of the Holy Spirit, as he told them uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will pour out on you, the promise from my father and this is the very visible in the, the new covenant uh, that Christ made in his own blood in the last supper i will be with you always indeed he is with us always as we continue to receive his presence his real presence in, with, and under the bread and wine and the Lord's Supper to this very day. Uh, 2,000 years after uh, Christ spoke those words, he still feeds and nourishes and strengthens his church with his very presence. And throughout our lives, we can bank on that uh, dependable presence in our own experience as well. Uh, that wherever our lives may take us, at times we may even be uh, separated from the church, homebound, or in a nursing home. One of the great gifts I have as a pastor is to be able to take the Lord's Supper uh, to people who aren't able to come to church and to see their reaction to it, uh, to see it in their face, in their eyes, in their movements, in their words, uh, how much it means to them, to recognize. The Lord is with them as they eat Christ's body and drink his blood to know that he is with them, Uh, that he is with them always Uh, to the very end of the age and to the very uh, far reaches of old age or whatever else we may think can separate us from people. God is with us always. That's the message we proclaim. It's our privilege as members of the church to to carry out the Great Commission, uh, to uh, tell that triune gospel of God's uh, great presence with us, how He has uh, gone to such great lengths to express His presence Uh, With us through word and sacrament, through the coming of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit, which is all about being with us, being present with us and for us, so that we are not alone, uh, so that because we are not forsaken, as we share uh, that good news, as we proclaim that triune gospel, uh, we Can do so confidently because it's not about who we are. It's not about our individual capacity or capabilities to fulfill that office. It's about who God is that He is a God who is present with His people, He is a God who has vowed and pledged Himself to be with His people. And he can be depended on to do so. And may that peace that is beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we await the day of his glorious return. Amen.